Dash podcast with Pastor Rick Hill, Senior Pastor of Grace Community Church in Rawls, New Mexico. I'm Marie Manning. What an honor it is to have you join us today. Our goal at Living Your Dash is to better help you connect the dots of discipleship so that you can find and fulfill God's purpose for your life. Let's join Rick and Sean with this week's podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living Your Dash podcast with your host, Rick Hale, and your co-host and uh, substitute guy, Alan Getty. Uh, still a few weeks away, huh, before you, before it gets real. Yeah, we'll get Sean back here soon, but Alan, you're doing a great job. <laughs> Thanks for being our sub. We appreciate you. Substitutes, you know, usually people pick on substitutes. I want to say you've been really nice to me. Good. Thank I'm, you. We serve candy. There you go. All right. Well, this week, Rick talked about getting a grip on your friendships. You know, Rick, I thought this was a really neat, um, just a really neat sermon because I think people do struggle with friendships and, and what a, what a great, what a great concept to kind of talk about how to be a friend. Yeah, we do. We think somehow that, uh, relational skills just come with being born. Many people, as you well know, Alan, because you work with children and you work with parents, they grew up in dysfunctional homes. They never learned relational skills and they wonder, why can't I have friends? Well, they repel friends simply because they don't know how to be a friend, they don't know how to make a friend. And so the whole purpose of this particular sermon was, how can I get a grip on relationships and, and develop very simple, very often, it's very simple skills that uh, can help me build and then maintain friendships. Yeah, friendships are so key. And, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit later because you, you do hint on the loneliness factor later in the sermon. But uh, the first question I had for you today was you talked about uh, a couple things. You said two are better than one, which is so true. Uh, but sometimes the other one might not be a person that you work well with. And uh, you, you mentioned in the sermon EGR people. Uh, and I thought it would be a neat thing for you to give us an example of maybe don't mention names. Okay. But, but a, a time when you had to work with somebody that you just, you were sure you weren't going to be able to work with them and they were very difficult to work with, but you walked away and you said, man, I learned a lot. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. EGR stands for extra grace required. <laughs> And we've all had EGRs at some point in our life. Uh, sometimes we're related to them in a family situation. It seemed like every family has an EGR. Every church has a collection of EGRs. And here's where I've, I've seen it uh, in the clearest form is that it, it's in small groups. My wife and I have been doing small groups our entire married life. 45 years we've been doing small groups. Every small group that I've ever been a part of has an EGR. And you can always tell because, you know, if you bring it up, somebody will say, well, well, our small group doesn't have an EGR. Well, it's probably you because EGRs are not self-aware and they don't realize that they uh, require a lot of grace. But every small group that, that I've ever been a part of, they, just, they tend to have an EGR. But what, sometimes, Alan, people come to me and say, Rick, 
we got a problem in our small group. We got this EGR and they're ruining our group. And I say, no, 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 they're maturing your group <laughs> because that, that's what small groups are all about. Small groups are all about growing. We want to grow and mature spiritually. Well, guess how God is going to grow your small group? He's going to plant an EGR in the middle of it and say, okay, let's grow in patience. How are you going to grow in patience unless there's a person who drives you nuts? Um, God wants to grow us in kindness. Well, how's he going to grow you in kindness? You're going to have to accept that EGR. You're going to have to love that EGR. So for me personally, over the years, every small group has that EGR. And I end up every time, Alan, without exception, really dealing with the question, okay, Rick, how deep and wide is your love? Mm. How deep and wide is your love? Is your love deep enough to accept that person? Is it wide enough to welcome that person and to, and to really not pray, God, take this person out of our group, but to say, God, help us love this person. And in the process, we're going to grow. God will grow us in those situations because it just there's no way around it an egr forces you to develop and practice the fruits of the holy spirit so they put you got to go okay i'm gonna have to love that person i'm gonna have to have joy when i see them walk in the door <laughs> yeah i'm gonna grow in patience and and self-control i'm gonna want to lash out and reject the person you think about the fruits of the spirit every one of those will grow when you have an EGR in your group. There you go. Also, it's important to note that sometimes even the best of us might be the EGR. Yeah. <laughs> and that's hard. And see, when you think of the big spectrum, you know, when Jesus loved you, when he loved me, we were EGRs. That's right. In, in comparison, it's all relative, but in comparison with the perfect son of God, he came to earth to save EGRs. That's right. And everyone is an EGR. Absolutely. I love it. I love that so much. So uh, you talked about, and I, I don't, you know, you didn't really, you talked about church and, and how it's a great place. In my opinion, it's a great place to, to gain friends. But as, as a church grows closer and, and you become a part of a church, you become part of a family. And I've known so many people in my life who would, who would say, well, I would go to church, but I've been hurt by the church because we're not perfect or whatever. And, and we know that the church in general can be unfriendly to those who are struggling. So if you're talking to somebody who is, they say, well, I'm not going to go to church because I've been hurt by those people before. What would, what would your response be to to that person. Yeah, I think my first response is to apologize and just say, I'm really sorry that the church hurt you. Um, we, we don't need to be in denial. There are some dysfunctional churches. Alan, my, my brother and I talked about this when we were kids. We were in a, in a church, and really the pastor was just an angry, mean man, and he did not need to be in the pulpit. He needed to be in therapy. And we talked about that, and the Milton, how many people that man hurt because he was just angry, and his preaching was angry, and he was mean, and it just came through. Um, 
So I would tell people, if you have been hurt in the church, I, I am, I'm very sorry. That is not the way the church was intended to be. And so I would say, try another congregation. Uh, don't, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't judge all churches by the one church that hurt you. Um, and, and then I would also, on the other side, kind of the other side of the coin, remind people, when you come to a church, have realistic expectations. Uh, we say here at Grace very often, there's nobody here but us sinners saved by grace. We mean that, including the pastor. And because we're sinners, we have issues. And there will be times where we hurt somebody's feeling. Maybe, maybe not intentionally, but um, we might have our mind on something else and walk right by a guest and not stop to, to speak or to welcome them. Uh, that's horrible. So on the one hand, yeah, we, uh, we have had churches that have been famous for shooting the wounded. And that's not wise, and that's not the way God intended it. But I do. I tell people all the time who have been hurt, don't give up on the church. Just try another one. Try another one. And here at Grace, we try to live up to our name. We try to be very grace-oriented with people and try to love people, but we're not perfect either. So we have to admit that, Alan. That's right. That's right. One of the things I, I – we just had a guest this last weekend here at Grace, and I'm, I'm just going to say it was so cool. She's a young lady. We've known her for many years, and uh, she struggles. And she came to Grace, and she's gone to other churches, and, and she came to Grace, and she told Tamara after the service, she goes, you know, I just didn't feel pressured. And I thought, Wow. That's a that's a big thing, yeah. and that our, I think Grace does a great job. When I say the church in general, I mean the church in general. We know there are churches out there, and and there there are people out there, and there's people at Grace. Mm-hmm. But don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That is that's a big deal. You know the other thing, Alan, that I tell people, and I lost track of how many times I've had this conversation with people who've been burned in the church, and and it's it's almost like you know I can. I can smell the smoke, and the, they're singed when they come in the door. <laughs> and we've had quite a number of people over our, our history who have come in, and they, they've told me later, they said, I was ready to give up on the church. And I thought, you know, I've heard Grace is a pretty welcoming place. I'm going to try Grace, and if it doesn't work, I'm done. And they come here, and I just I tell them, listen, just, just sit back there in the back row, and just heal, just heal from being hurt. And they appreciate that so much. Instead of coming and say, okay, here's a membership card. You got to join. You got to do this. We got, no, I tell them, don't, don't get involved right now. Just come, just come and heal. When people, they, some people have never heard a pastor say those words. Right. Of, hey, we don't want you to serve yet. <laughs> We're not going to put you on a committee or a team. Um, <laughs> No, you need to heal first. And giving people that non-pressured environment, that atmosphere of grace, makes all the difference in the world. We're not perfect, but that is certainly our intention. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. You talk about Ecclesiastes 4.11. I think you explained that verse very well, though I'd like you to kind of go through that again. But it made me just think about how important it is for us to make actually coming to church a priority. So when we're talking about friendship, Rick, how important 
is corporate worship and actually coming to a physical building. How important is that Yeah, in, it, in a situation like this? Yeah, it's very important. And the people, if you didn't hear the sermon, Ecclesiastes 4 is the wisdom of Solomon on relationships. And that paragraph begins with those famous words, two are better than one. But down when you get to verse 11, Ecclesiastes 4.11, that's where he changes the metaphor to warmth. And he said, you know, if one lies down, how can they keep warm? But if two lie down together, they'll be able to, to stay warm. Well, Alan, I don't think he's talking about physical coldness. I think he's talking about emotional warmth. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing we learned during the pandemic where people were forced into isolation. Yeah, it's one thing, you know, like we, we have spouses and you've got kids at home. Well, you kind of had that family warmth. But I can tell you right now that we had many people in our church, single single people, widows, widowers. Uh, man, they went through a cold time. There was no physical warmth. Mm. I, I Through the pandemic, I saw how important just coming together and being in a room together is. It just creates a psychological and emotional warmth where people, they, they just leave feeling better simply because they were around people mm-hmm. and people who love the Lord and just enjoying the music. You know, it's one thing to go online and watch the music, you know, on your tablet, on your TV, but it is a totally different thing being in the room and enjoying music and singing together. That's right. So I saw it really more than, uh, if there was one good thing that came out of the pandemic, we learned how important being together with other people. It just, there's no way to recreate it other than being in a room together. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. I, I think when you... I see it a lot when I when I walk in because I'm down in the children's building and I'll come up here and when you see the people even before church, before they're in the corporate worship service, there's worship happening out in the lobby as people are talking to each other mm-hmm. and hugging each other and just I think that sense of warmth you can't get that yeah. you know I mean you have to have it. You know, I won't say you can only get it from church, but it, I think it's the most important place to get it. But you can get it with a group of people. Yeah, yeah. You need a group of people that you have a, have a common mm-hmm. truth with. True story. A guy came in here one time. They'd been visiting Grace, and he said, Rick, I don't think Grace is the church for us. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, but you know, can you tell me why? He said, it's just so loud before church. And when, you know, my, my growing up, when, when we went to church, you walked in the door and everybody got quiet. And I'm just looking for a church with a lot of reverence. And I, honestly, I, I just told him, I said, you know what? You will not be happy here because before church and after church, this is a loud place. And we are intentionally that way because we want to create this, this togetherness. And hey, we, we're glad to see you. And we love it when people are talking and hugging and praying together and drinking coffee together out in the lobby. But yeah, I was able to help him. I knew of a church that where you walked in the door, everybody got quiet, instantly <laughs> quiet. No thanks. I want to be where people, you know, it's the old theme song from Cheers. 
where everybody knows your name and you're glad they came. That's right. They're glad you came. Hey, I want church to be that way. That's so fun. I One of the things I, because I wasn't here this weekend, I usually try and make it up, but I, so I watched it online this week. And and every time I watch it online, and even when I'm watching online to, to get some key things, I love the welcome. If you've ever watched it online, it is just buzzing. Yeah. It's like, it's like hey, say hi to somebody next to you. And, there's a lot of noise. And then, okay, sit down. And it gets quiet again. It's but. hard for me to start my sermon <laughs> because people are still over there yakking. Yeah, they're going across the, oh, yeah. the whole sanctuary. And then they yeah. got to run back to their chair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And you know, but I love it. I absolutely love that fact that it. I have to work at getting people quiet because they're just glad to see each other. That's right. Yeah. It's definitely you know something. And I think you're the one who sent it to me maybe a week or two ago. It was an article, and it talked about. Uh, I think it may have been children or teenagers. The average screen time now <sighs> is like nine hours. Was that? Children or it's, teenagers? It's, it's, it's the, yeah, it's the it's Generation Z. Yeah, it is. Children, teenagers, some even the 20. So what we're talking about here, the average is, for these young people, they're spending nine hours a day, folks. Listen to the number. Nine hours a day in front of a screen, either a laptop or their phone. Mm. Nine hours a day. That means for nine hours a day, they are not connecting to a real life human being within speaking distance. Or even if they are, they're not speaking. That's right. And boy, Alan, that when you sent me that, that that concerned me deeply. I thought we've got to be careful. And you know, parents out there, you know, I may sound old fashioned, but you're gonna have to limit screen time. And you're gonna have to say, okay, come on, get out of your room, come in here. And let's talk. Let's sit around yeah. the dinner table. Uh, how was your day? Mm-hmm. How's school going? So we got to be careful. And Alan, it's not just teenagers and children. It's young adults. It's young, it can it's, be very addictive. Absolutely. And like any addiction, it can be harmful in the end. That's right. That's, uh, oh, boy, you got that one right. And it hurts friendships. You know, I you can't tell me that you have okay, so you have a thousand Facebook friends, but how many friends do you have? Who are you calling? I, I don't, I don't remember who it was that said, refrigerator door friends. I love that idea. Who, who's a friend that you have, that if they came to your house, they would walk over and they'd open your refrigerator up. Now, see, when I was a kid, I had several friends like that. Yeah, me and too. The expectation was if I went to their house, the fridge was 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 available and and i look at today and it's different it is and it doesn't mean i think it's i think it's worse but i think it's important that we realize that who do we have does everybody who comes to your house ring the doorbell or do you have somebody who just walks in the back door that's the definition of a friend that's right yeah good point all right so final uh question on this was the four, the four, the four points. How to be a good friend. I loved it. It was you had to be a to get friends. Be a friend. Don't be a leech. Work on your skills. And and the the one I liked was ask the four questions before you start talking about yourself. So of those four points, of those four keys to being a friend, what what do you think? What would be your top? Oh, that's an easy question. The four questions. 
the four questions. And a friend of mine, and I, I met him on an airplane, and never met the guy's life in, in life. And I'm reading a book on leadership. I think it was a John Maxwell book on leadership. And he looked over and he said, uh, "Oh, uh, are you a fan of John Maxwell?" I said, "Oh yeah, I love it. What do you like about John Maxwell books?" He said. So I talked a little bit, and. Well, have you ever like been to a John Maxwell event? Have you ever heard him live? I said, no, I haven't ever seen him live. But you know, I answered, and and all. By the time we landed, and this was a flight between Roswell and Dallas, hour and fifteen minutes. By the time we got there, I was inviting him to come and speak at our church, <laughs> and that never happens to me, never. <laughs> and I thought, so we were talking about it one time, and I said. You are one of the best conversationalists I've ever met in my life. What's the secret? And he said, four questions. He said, anytime you meet someone new, always ask four questions about them before you ever say anything about yourself. I've got to tell you, Alan, I, I try to do this as often as I can remember. I'm trying to become more and more intentional in doing it. I'm just telling it works. And the so here's the one I want to recommend before, when you meet somebody new, or even if you just run into somebody that you haven't seen in a while, ask four questions about them before you say anything about you. Here's why I want to challenge people to do it. You will generally see instant results. By about the third question, you're going to see that other person kind of light up. And very often you can literally see it in their eyes and in their face. And really what they're communicating non-verbally is, hey, you're actually interested in me. You're not just doing, hey, how you doing? Fine, fine. How are you doing? I'm fine. Kids good? Yeah, they're good. No, no. When you ask those four questions and they build on each other, before long you're gonna, that person is going to be engaged in a conversation. So... If you're out there and you're going, you know, I just, I have trouble making friends. Get very intentional, takes a little practice, but before long, you'll learn how you ask question number one, they answer, and then build question number two on their answer, whatever they say, rather than say, oh, well, let me tell you about me. No, just build on how they answer that second question and the third question and the fourth question. You, you will be amazed at how it generates a, a bond mm -hmm. between people. Absolutely. I love that too. That was my favorite. I thought, man, of all of these, if you do that one, you're, that's it. You, you're going you're gonna to be very, you're going to be very impressed at just how much how many more friends you have that are, that, oh, I really like that guy. He, he listens. Yeah, he cares uh -huh. about me. He's interested right. in me. And the problem is, Alan, it goes counterintuitive to, to really the, the human condition, selfishness. I really want to tell you about me. I want to talk about me. If you will learn to focus on others, the benefit is you make friends. That's right. Isn't that crazy? I love it's it. It's such an irony, a paradox but to make friends, you be a friend. And if you be a friend long enough, then people, you'll be like a magnet. You'll attract people. That's right. I like it. Very good. 
All right. Well, uh, we have word of the day or phrase of the day from your book. Hey, yeah. The quote of the day is from uh, my book, uh, Living Your Dash. And I love this one. It's at the introduction of chapter three, which is called Overcoming External Opposition. But it's a quote from a great leader guru, Warren Bennis, written a lot of books over the years on leadership. And I love this one. Leadership is the capacity to translate vision into reality. Alahemi people do we know, man, they got a vision. Oh, I got a vision. I want to do them. But they never get around to it. They never quite accomplish it. And Ward Bennis is right. True leadership, it's developing that capacity. You take that vision and say, okay, what am I going to do with it? You have to translate it into reality. If more people would say, okay, I've got a great vision. I've got a great idea. But now, how do I put it into practice? That's the true test of leadership. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Well, what's next? Well, hey, I'm excited about something you're planning, Alan. This Friday night, which is March the 25th, we have the Christian comedian Bob Smiley back. We had him years ago. Oh, my gosh, he is so much fun. And I call it comedy with a message. It's not just comedy. Yeah. But it's really got a great message. He's going to be here at Grace, 6 o'clock, this Friday night, the 25th. Uh, tickets are only $10. You can get them at the door. You can get them online at roswellgrace.com. So come and be a part of that Friday night. And then, Alan, Sunday morning, we continue our con- Getting a Grip on Life series. I'm going to talk about maturity. Uh, how do you, and I'm not just talking about physical maturity, emotional maturity, spiritual maturity, How can we grow and develop as human beings? And believe it or not, the scripture uh, speaks quite clearly on this. So I invite everybody to come out and be a part uh, this Sunday for Getting a Grip on Maturity. It's going to be really good. I'm very excited to hear it. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Alan. Bye. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope that you've been encouraged and better informed. We love to get feedback, so send us an email with your comments and suggestions to info at roswellgrace.com. If you like what we're doing here at Living Your Dash, please hit the subscribe button, leave us a review on your platform, and share this with your friends. For more information about Grace Community Church, please point your browser to roswellgrace.com. Until next time, I'm Marie, and this is Living Your Dash.